Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Simpoesi streaming to you from the Gerigo land of the Eora Nation. My name is Ira and I'm joined in the studio by Aris Amy Percevic. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this name correctly because I haven't checked, but I'm getting nods. Yes, Amy Percevic, who is here to tell us all about her video installation work around claiming time and space for art making, which is showing at UNSW Galleries here in Peddington until this Friday, 23rd of June. Workaround looks at different strategies that artists employ in order to keep their art practices alive while needing to subsidize their livelihood through paid jobs. In other words, it looks at a familiar juggle between precarious artwork and stable paid work, and how can artists work around this and co-opt part of their paid work time for creative practices. And we'll hear more about it in just a few minutes. But let's first say hello to Amy and thank you for joining us this morning on Eastside. Thanks so much for having me. How has your morning been so far and what are your mornings usually like? Are you a morning kind of person or an afternoon creature or night owl or something in between all those times? This particular morning was quite unusual because I have a friend staying and it was my birthday yesterday. Oh, so I'm in birthday. a post-birthday buzz. And I really do feel like the year has begun again because I always frame birthdays as personal New Year's. So mm. I perhaps will not speak about this morning, which was incredibly um, pleasantly disrupted by all the beautiful things that happen when you have a guest staying. But my mornings usually look like um, waking up without an alarm, if possible, which is usually around seven or a little bit after seven. My mind often wants to move, but my body often takes a little while to catch up. So I kind of potter for a little while. I always have some warm water and eventually go for a walk. And for me, that walk, if I'm in a period that I would like to hone as being a creative period, Mm -hmm. that walk is a time that I'm trying to keep the stillness. So almost never would I be like texting and walking or talking and walking or listening to something I'm walking. It is about um, maintaining a softness to the day. Um, Sometimes I might have a coffee afterwards and write, but the morning hours are setting myself up so that I feel ready for something to emerge in the afternoon. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm. So that kind of answers the next question I had, which was when do you feel most creatively inspired? And sounds like the mornings are really precious time Mm, to mm, cultivate mm. those ideas. But then you're mentioning waking up without the alarm at seven, going for a walk. That sounds like a day when you don't have to go to your paid work. Mm, Exactly, (laughs) exactly. And actually, I'm able to describe that as a regular day at the moment because I have just finished a period of time where I had funding to be able to commit to art practice more Mm -hmm. strongly for the last um, bit less than six months. And it's been incredibly bizarre and precious to be spending a time just really focusing on art making to make art about a time that is way more regular in my life which is the constant juggle Mm -hmm. and I've often been oscillating in my mind of oh is this work which I I suppose we'll speak about more in a moment um could it only happen 
completely and in this more ambitious way because all of the the groundwork and research was foraged from those times that I was working and juggling. But now I have this break time to let it um, flourish flourish and finalise. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so in situations which seem to be more regular where you do have to have a paid work because as artists we can't sustain our lives Mm, through mm -hmm, mm -hmm. art practice unfortunately so we have to engage in additional work on those days do you wake up to alarm and Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also i guess in this video that we will be speaking about in your project workaround you do speak about how at times you would be waking up extra early assumingly to alarm to squeeze the time given to art practice from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. before you would rush into your paid work. Mm. This doesn't seem to be very fruitful and potentially inspiring time because it chips away from the time of rest and sleep, which is very important for creative flourishing as well. I think it chips away at those times and it also almost like cheapens those times Mm. because I feel as though, um, yeah, what you're saying is absolutely true on days that I'm working at a place of paid employment, there's mm. absolutely an alarm. And the what I just described in the morning still happens, but in very condensed ways. So it's a fast walk. It's a, a paragraph that I might write instead of pages. And I think that that cheapening or the, the reason that that word came to my mind was because I'm aware that my workplace is um, actively funding my ability to live and like financially survive but it's also actively diminishing my ability to be able to extend my art making ideas I've been so aware that um yeah the act of working in fragmented times is why this video looks and feels like it does because it was made in yeah moments of 15 minutes or half an hour that were then eventually um, tessellated together to form a, a larger piece. And that's by nature of work taking away a lot of those long-form dreaming or like floating hours. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this video and this project called Workaround because Workaround is something that you came up with as a strategy to actually invest some time of your art practice within the paid work time. So when people ask you, what is this project about? What do Mm -hmm. you tend to say? Um, I always say that it's a video. It feels like that's something that I (laughs) let um, kind of frames an understanding of what it might be like, um, because it's almost an induction video or an instructional video for artists who are working um, in, in this instance in the office, because I've really um, been informed by my own experiences of being an arts worker, often in an office environment. And I I always say um, that it feels like it, it's a, a training session of sort for artists to understand that there are different ways that you can gently, subtly, covertly, um, but still, um, I don't, I don't really want to use the word ethically, but still conscientiously um, negotiate in your paid work day to re-gift yourself as part of your practice. 
And the video uses some examples that I definitely have used in different places of paid employment. So, for example, placing a a 90-minute calendar invitation in my work outlook so that it says work in progress. And I understand that that is time that I'll be investing in my work practice at that period of time. But my employees don't know that. And work in progress, of course, has that very broad um, term that it could be about working um, on work-related, paid work-related projects. But it basically is ensuring a period of not being interrupted. And um, and just to follow on from that description, even though I never uh, want to be like apologetic of these things happening in the workplace, like I feel like they're essential and necessary for artists to think um, creatively about how to claim time and space for their practice. But I'm very aware that I've only ever done this in places where I have been employed on a like a contract or part-time, not casually, because in my mind there does feel like a difference um, being employed full-time. You can kind of renegotiate or juggle time, mm-hmm. but casually to do this and actually need to log hours, it does feel like an act of um, thieving, mm-hmm. or which I, I often try and, yeah, understand, I suppose, because I think about that difference quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You wanted to make a distinction between calling it conscientious rather than ethical. Mm. Why is that? Well, I think that the the way that we are reliant, um, like the universal we are reliant on artists and their output, their way of thinking, the way of analysing or engaging in the world um, and how that turns into a whole world of profit making enterprises, often for people who are not the artists. I I feel like where is the ethics in that? And so I, which is another um, reason why I feel like I never want to apologise for these workaround strategies because I think that it's necessary. Like art, artists do have to find ways to self-fund their practice. Yeah. And I think that that's having a conscientious approach to your own art practice, which mm-hmm. I think should always be as, whenever it can be, as integral to your life as the potential um, paid employment, which might be removed from mm-hmm. your practice, which is why, yeah, sometimes the word ethics comes out first and I have to like reframe it in my mind. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it is ethical. It's conscientious. Yeah, conscientious art making. Yeah, but but you do mention in... Um, so this project has been a part of your master's degree at mm-hmm. UNSW, and um, in the thesis that accompanies the video, you do uh, make a distinction or speak about distinction between good work ethic and good workaround ethic. And I really loved the invocation of the word ethic in this because as artists, we live in a society that don't, doesn't allow us to actually make a living from our art practice. So we have to subsidize that through this paid work employment. So in some way, it feels righteous to take some of that time back um, because we don't have, we are living in a society that doesn't give us other choice. Um, So yeah, I I feel like when you speak about about workaround is you speak about it in that sense of righteousness rather than being rebellious. Mm. Would you say so? Um. I think there is a covert rebellion happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I do. I I think it, it's both 
Yeah, I would say a, yeah, a subtle rebellion. I also think it's a celebration mm-hmm. um, of the ways that artists are very able to be um, fluid and dynamic so that their their practice can survive. So, I, yeah, I think that the rebellious energy is subtle because it's personal as well. Um, it's, not, it's not a necessarily a public activism. Although in saying that, I think that the conversations I've had around this work make it so clear how broad and wide it is that artists are working on the practical natures of their practice while at their places of paid employment. So when you say practical nature of the practice, mm. you seem to make a distinction between the kind of art practice that's that's able to be done within those hours. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um I mean, previously we've spoken and you've, you've used the word dream or the phrase dreaming time. And I don't think that I have like creative dreaming time when I'm using these workaround practices at work, but I am able to um, uh, add paragraphs to a grant application or write artist statements or do budgets for um, yeah grants that I might be looking to apply for. And I think that the nature um of that is because I'm working in an office environment and those tasks are very easily disguisable mm-hmm. in the office environment. It looks like you're doing work that is pertaining to your job description. Mm-hmm. And I always think it's interesting to register what people really are doing when they're not doing work at their workplace. Sometimes it is looking for houses on realestate.com. Sometimes it's booking a doctor's appointment. And I think that those kind of things are widely acceptable of ways to like shuffle, renegotiate your work time. Mm. And art practice really is not. And I wonder if that's because those other elements allow us to keep sustaining ourselves in some way in the eyes of the employer so that we can keep returning back to work, go to the doctor, get healthy, come back to work. Whereas me writing my artist practice, (laughs) my Mm. artist statement, how does that benefit back to the employer? Mm. So I think that yeah, the workaround is broad, but I think specific to art practice is where it needs to be, um, yeah, in some way covert. Mm. You're on Issa Radio. This is Arts Monday Poesis, and uh, my name is Ira. I'm in conversation with artist Amy Percevic. We are talking about her video installation work around claiming time and space for art making, which you can currently see at UNSW Galleries here in Paddington. So, Amy, one of the things that is really speaking to me in this project because I'm interested in time in my own practice and I'm interested in how we organize our lives in uh, relation to time, the way we structure our days. So I love that the big part of this work around ethic is related to the idea of time management and having a control over our own time, which in work environments, we are kind of taken away this control of our own time because we are basically selling our hours in exchange of money. Has time been something that you have been considering making this work? Definitely. And the and time in so many different ways. For example, the time of each of the smaller sections of the video versus the time of the longer video, thinking about like attention span, um, the time of um, energetically hiding myself from my employees. I feel like there is like an investment of time to understand when it is 
um, possible or not possible to jump in and out of this yeah, period of workaround because I think time in a workplace is, as we say, not totally our own. It's shared time. So mm-hmm. is a moment that you're removing yourself from your work task to do some covert art making does that align with the needs of your colleagues who might be depending on you for something else and usually mm. a deadline and therefore time? Mm. Um, the time of art making, as I um, mentioned a bit earlier, being condensed into like minutes and moments rather than long form mm. concentration time. So those and, and also the time of um, the time that flows through us, I guess we all register that running late for something, our bodies are doing one thing, relaxing into a task, our bodies are doing another thing and how time and our awareness of it impacts quite literally the way that we sit or move or walk or rush. And I think all those things are fed into the pace of the video, which is um, quite slow and mm-hmm. there there isn't much erratic movement um mm. and you understand that you've kind of settled into this work day mm. and um not all work days have a predictable pace but I think that once you've been in a workplace for a while you can imagine how time might play out from day to day and how you can maybe rework it to benefit mm. yourself and your practice and I guess it's interesting how you also mentioned time in relation to not having ownership of our like priorities or responsibilities Mm -hmm. and I think that that is very key because I sometimes wonder if people delegating tasks in organizations truly register how long they may take and I think that there should be some awareness that we understand how long um, action or dreaming or thinking might take for us and we should be able to feed that like personal bodily knowledge of our inward time or our art making time into the more public working time so yeah time's definitely been a a flowing force in the making of the work Mm. and the the reason I brought it up because you mentioned this thing in your writing how you can autonomously prioritize the needs of your multiple identities the artist and the arts worker so it's kind of trusting us that we can Mm -hmm. manage our own time which is often lacking I might take us uh, for a little music break to have a bit of breathing time in between. Uh, you're on ESED Radio 89.7 FM. Also just reminding you that it's a radio tone this week. And if you would like to become a subscriber, you can call 9331-3000 or jump online eastsidefm.org. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Give me that low carb honey sucker care on my thighs, shaking up to make a man feel every sick cry, nice fever. Elevation. Strong clavicle. Top body, top body, top body, top body. And that door is 
shove it in the bone refinery. Oh, I stick it in the bone refinery. Nothing in the bone refinery. Yeah, now federal executive admitted for free. Pony up the mirror, get your kiss and creed. Certified hippie, only shit what I eat. Killing time at the co-op, fashionably. Handheld stem cells, he lives free. Coffee in the morning, complimentary teas. Everybody's down at the bucka 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 B-O-N-E-R-I-F-I-N-R-E. Well, 40 seconds later and you're wondering who fouled. Computer pulls a premium, the gun slip you sell. Back to your parents when they go and get the techno. A motor with the marrow and a car to free well. Logically a motor with the lace with no cares. Folklore, head wound, sex and song. No food, carpenter, gold, beer pong. Captivate a left brain, people for an upgrade. You wanna buy a milk crate and fill it with teeth. You wanna think harder, but the pills are really cheap. You wanna make them feel up for the protocols, palm a little all at your feet anyway, flesh fades. Here, take a flyer, I'd ship it in free. I got handbills, I got photocopies. You can find me at the Kinkos, I'm a good my guest in the studio this morning is Amy Persevich. We are talking about her video work, Workaround. But in the break, Amy also revealed to me how it feels like she's in the car right now because she's listening to the music she likes and she's having uh, what she called a pleasant conversation, if I'm paraphrasing that all right. So is this when you tend to listen to radio, Amy? <laughs> in the car? It is. It is. Um Yes, that's the shortest version of that answer. It definitely is. Um, but I don't drive very often. So, <laughs> so it, yeah, it feels... And perhaps that's why I said that it feels like a road trip because mm. of the situation of conversation, music. Um, the end point of the conversation is unknown for me, which I think is really ple- ple- pleasurable um, and I think is analogous to a road trip. Mm. Well, is an end point of any conversation unknown? I guess, I don't know. Sometimes I do feel like end points can be slightly predictable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it depends on what the content or, or like the beginning point of the conversation, but um, not how things are delivered. But I do think that sometimes and um, and results or like end energies of conversations sometimes manifest themselves early in a conversation. Mm. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's my it's my feel feeling on the yeah, on the thought. I'm sure it's true if you feel it. And also makes me think about endpoints in art practice. Mm. How far ahead did you know what the end point of this project will be? Oh um in some way I still don't know how it will end. Um but I I understood that I would make a video maybe about six months ago. So the the work actually began um, it to, probably 2019 or the end of 2018, where after a period of time that I had been studying, I had understood that I kind of urgently needed to return to the workforce um, because I yeah I had no savings left, and I. In that moment, in the in the beginning few months of that re-entry into the full-time workforce, took 15 minutes out of my workday to write about my favorite computer functions in related in relation to how I could use them to work on my art practice. So I was writing about on a PC computer, you can flick between alt tabs, so it looks like you're invoicing or emailing, but you might be working on an art project. And it really was a, a piece of 15-minute fast writing that I did while at work that has now become um, a key point of this final video. And over the course of that time, so probably from yeah around 2018, 19 to now, 
I have been doing these short spurts of writing, um, like little vignettes of things that I had done or thought of doing to claim time in the workplace. But I had originally felt that it would be a script and there's a a lot in there probably about like bravery or feeling like um, I wanted to perform in my work or be in my work or um, I felt like a script was something that I could hand over to someone to um, either make or not make these vignettes come to life. And it was a conversation I I had, um, as you mentioned, I, I made this video as part of my Master of Fine Art with one of my supervisors who was like, where is this fear coming from? Like, what is this obstacle? Why why would you not make it a film? It was the way I was speaking was very regularly about like essays, um, by extension video essays. That was a form that I was really focused on. And I think I needed to understand that I knew I wanted it to be me who would con- who would perform in the work I mean all of all of the script is a performative version of myself how could I not be or why would I not be in the work so really understanding that it was going to be a video was maybe six months ago and then um yeah it it felt kind of mind-boggling most of that time and it's so interesting as well because the other questions you've asked I felt like I've been able to answer them from some place of um Oh, I, I've thought about this a lot, but when you speak about the end point of the work, I still now feel like incredibly nervous that I am in this video kind of exposing these things that I, yes, I truly have done this in many workplaces and um, yeah, adopted these workarounds in many workplaces. What does that mean? Like, I do feel very nervous about past employers, current employers, future employers, like <laughs> associating this workaround logic with me um and so that's yeah that's I think why I'm like oh gosh it is a video and I can even feel like my like the way I'm moving it's like oh gosh I made a video I can't believe you reminded me that that's what we're we're talking about but um yeah so the end point was uh yeah kind of relatively recent Mm. you have mentioned the script that accompanies the video it's a narration um over the image and it came through a diaristic writing which is the practice that you employ in other of your works as well so you speak about how you regularly begin an artwork's development with the written word and then you look to align the text with a physical outcome with appropriate physical outcome so for this one, or maybe in, in its usual practice, that you would do this every second morning, you would make a cup of coffee and do some stream of consciousness writing, or can you speak a bit about how this text emerged? Um, the text being the whole script coming yeah, together. Yes, yeah, yeah um, most of the writings from this work did happen while I was at a place of work. So when I have done that practice that you just described of, um, yeah, writing every second morning, often with a coffee, um, in different parts of my life that has been kind of exploratory writing. Like I've understood that there was something that I was curious about or a thought that I'd had often the day before or in the last couple of days that I wanted to expand on. Um, and that, that long form writing um, felt less 
close to what this script ended up being. And I don't think it was conscious, but now that we're speaking, it, it this may have been what I was doing, that I felt like it was important that it was made in the conditions that I was talking about, that I was making this work about taking time from work to make art make uh, to make artwork um that that work was um true to the logic of it mm-hmm. and yeah i i actually have i mean i've done a very long form piece of writing about it in the form of a thesis but i haven't written about um yeah i haven't expanded any of those vignettes actually which is often what would happen i might write a few notes and then expand um to like a couple of pages the next time i had a focused writing time but these stayed pretty close to the um, short segments, which translate to between like 40 seconds or two minutes of video, mm. which make up the 11 minute video. Um, yeah, I think that could be where that logic was coming from. Mm. And given that it's this uh, journalistic or diaristic writing that you employ in the work, uh, it means that this work sits in something that uh, can be called a genre of auto theory. Uh, I'm not sure if genre is the right term, but it's uh, auto-theoretical work. Uh, And it is a form of art practice where one's own lived experience uh, becomes a material of work and is seen as an adequate site of knowledge. And I love uh, what you mentioned in your thesis, how Donna Haraway sees that as the more um, democratic way to make work because it doesn't rely on having access to more formal and academic modes of knowledge acquisition. How would you describe to us what this auto theory is and what it seems to be the kind of thing that you do throughout your practice? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of your works, which, which I love, is uh, you list and write about all the bedrooms that you lived in from the earliest memory, which is just a note I can't remember, but I know I lived there, to the, the most recent bedroom. So it's, again, auto-theoretical work. It is. I... I guess there's always two things that are happening me to me in me all the time is that I, I do read a lot and I know that that's sinking into me. I, I yeah, I definitely read um, a lot of fiction actually as much as theory. And I think that sometimes the, the auto in me is responding. It's my version of having a conversation with um, the world or something that I've read or, yeah, it's like I'm having a conversation with something that I know is not going to respond back to me, um, whether yeah that be a text or someone else's artwork. Um, and a lot of the writing comes from that. And I think that the reason that there is so much text in my work is a few years ago I I learned that not every not everybody sees what. I see when I close my eyes, which is literally nothing. Like I didn't register that people close their eyes and see images and can manifest worlds visually. So I feel like I'm always talking the world into existence. And um, I think it's called aphantasia to just see nothing when you close your eyes. So I I think that that's why writing and the kind of work that I make is, um, yeah, auto, like, me but talking my world into existence because I can't necessarily recall it through images um yeah but writing feels like something that 
makes me understand what I'm making as well. Um, or understand maybe where my biases or impulses are. I don't, yeah, I don't know a better way to describe it than that, actually. But it's always very curious in the moments that I do read back on something to register, oh, this is <laughs> this is what came out of the corner of your mind when you weren't trying to, um, yeah, approach something with quick clarity, I suppose. Mm. Mm. At the same time, as somebody who whose core practice is writing and now made video work from what I understand you have a background in sculpture. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sculpture and spatial practice was the um, undergraduate degree I initially did many years ago. And yeah, thinking about space in work that, that feels um, very natural. Like the way that I made this video, for example, was really thinking about, the framing of the bodies in each scene. So, um, and even the installation for this work is spatial. Um, as I mentioned, it, it kind of borrows from tropes of the instructional video and it's currently installed with a, a set of five quite typically um, office e seats in front on um, a 60-inch monitor on a trolley. So it, it's kind of calling to mind that idea of a, a yeah a training session a work training session and even um yeah I think that sculpture or knowing that sculpture and space are things that are really embedded in me will will probably always play out in an installation mm-hmm. even if it is video because of course there was the option of just having a projection but yeah I I do feel also the ways that I often install text-based works do have some element of light furniture design or um, in some way trying to manoeuvre the viewer's body in a way that is quite gentle. But, um, yeah, for example, the book that you just mentioned about um, writing about the bedrooms that I've lived in from zero until now, that's installed with a seat. So it is like an an invitation for people to spend time Mm -hmm. with the work. So I, I I often think that what sculpture has contributed to my practice is this ongoing um, phrase and invitation. Like I do often think when I'm making something, what am I, what do I want to invite the person viewing to do with their body or think? And I think that's why seats um, and install. Yeah. A sculptural install element are often part of yeah my practice. Yornis Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Monday Sympoesis. My name is Ira and we are in conversation with artist Amy Percevich. We are talking about her video installation workaround, claiming time and space for art making. And you can currently see it at UNSW Galleries here in Paddington until this Friday, 23rd of June. Before we uh, come to the end of the show, one uh, other question that I had is, so... We mentioned at the beginning how in the past you would wake up early to squeeze a couple of or an hour if if you could manage uh, of your art practice before you rush to the work. Now you have this workaround strategy where you actually do that during the work time. Does that mean that you have created more time to rest? Ooh. Um, well, the answer, my body's answer is an immediate fast yes. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do feel softer in so many different ways um, by having more like self-allocated time in the day. And I think that can only be positive. And I can, I actually also 
think that something has happened from doing this project. Um, often the word emptiness, I think, implies some kind of negativity, but I feel like, yeah, by really enacting this work around ethic, I have this new almost emptiness that has opened up in me that feels ready to absorb new or more or, yeah, like I'm more porous because of this workaround ethic. So I think that can only mean that, yeah, there is more time for rest. I think that space in my body equals rest. Nice. Thank you, Amy, for joining us this morning on Eastside. Side.